0: We just celebrated Easter two weeks ago, a time in which we remember the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. However, in some ways, two weeks ago seems like a long time. And you may be wondering, why don't we just move on? Why are we keeping this Easter theme? Well, next week I will be back in Matthew again. But uh, I thought it would be good to remind us that the resurrection of Jesus is significant for every Sunday. It was the resurrection that caused the early church to move worship from the Sabbath to Sunday in a constant recognition and remembrance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is significant that we have a symbol of an empty cross behind me, to remind us constantly that Jesus is no longer on that cross, that he died, bore our sins, was buried, and rose again. This past Good Friday, I enjoyed that service very much. We were able to look at what is my favorite portion of prophetic scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. And this morning, I want us to consider just one verse from this text Isaiah 53, verse 9. Isaiah 53, 9. The ESV reads as follows. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The NAS translates it as follows. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, Nor was there any deceit in his mouth. I believe that that is the better of the translations that this was done because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. The assigning the body to be with the wicked and yet being buried with the rich was a result of his innocence having done no violence nor any deceit in his mouth. It is essential to understand that when we talk about the prophecies of the Old Testament, that we stand in awe of the specificity in which they speak. These prophecies are not the mere conjectures of generality. Rather, they provide clear references to future events and circumstances. They are of entire different nature than reading a horoscope. Uh, These things are not ambivalent, but rather, uh, or ambiguous is the word I really want. They are not ambiguous, but they are clear statements concerning future events that are going to occur. So the theme this morning is a consideration of the significance regarding the prophecy of Christ's burial, that despite the fact that the Messiah would be assigned a grave with the wicked, he would actually be Buried with the rich. I have a number of significant points that come from this prophecy. First, the prophecy is significant because of its peculiarity. Because of its peculiarity. It tells us in verse 9 that his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet, according to the NAS, yet he was with a rich man in his death. This is a peculiar prophecy, for the two elements in it are mutually exclusive. To be assigned a grave with the wicked meant that you would not be buried with the rich. The two were mutually exclusive ideas. Either you would be buried with the rich, or you could be assigned a grave with the wicked, but you wouldn't have both. You wouldn't be assigned a grave with the wicked and end up being buried with the rich. Some background. Jesus was condemned to death by the Jewish leaders, and therefore should have been assigned a grave with the wicked. Jesus was condemned to death by the Jewish leaders because of blasphemy. He was condemned by the Roman courts, for treason, because he said that he was a king, making himself equal with Caesar. But in Jewish courts, he was condemned because of blasphemy, for saying that he was the son of God, making himself equal with God. John nineteen seven says this, The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. That was their conclusion. He should die because he made himself equal with God. When one was condemned to death because of blasphemy, his burial was to be one of disgrace. Josephus, the Jewish historian, notes that the rule of the Sanhedrin was, and I quote, Let him who blasphemes God have a disgraceful and obscure burial. It was part of the sentence to be sure that this person would have a disgraceful and obscure burial. Many times, that obscure and disgraceful burial would be placing the uh, body in a communal grave in the valley of Hinnom, uh, part of Gehenna. It's the picture of where hell comes from, uh, for it was a place of burning garbage dumps, and they had a communal grave to disrespect individuals. Because the Jewish leaders were under the authority of the Roman government, they were not entrusted with the power to administer the death penalty. They were able to enforce a number of their laws within the Jewish community, but the death penalty was not under their purview. Uh, That was reserved for the Roman courts. And, of course, Jesus was condemned by Pilate and uh, sentenced to crucifixion. And by the Roman court of law, the judgment of crucifixion was that the body was to be treated in, again, a disgraceful manner, sometimes left on the cross uh, to be eaten by birds, uh, dealt with in other disgraceful ways. The prophecy is that despite being assigned, that is actually being um, designated to have a burial with the wicked, instead he is going to be buried with the rich. Now, how does that come to pass? Well, secondly, the prophecy is significant because of its detailed fulfillment. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Starting at verse 57. This is the evening of the crucifixion. Matthew 27, 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man. Okay? Why does the Bible tell us that Joseph was a rich man? Simply because it's a fulfillment of. Isaiah 53, 9. It's bring attention to us that Joseph is a rich man. He's going to be assigned a grave with the wicked, but he's going to be buried with the rich. So a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus, he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. After Jesus' death, Joseph asked Pilate for Jesus' body, and Jesus' body was given to him. Notice verse 58. He went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. The body of Jesus was now entrusted to Joseph. Joseph, a rich man, placed Jesus' body in a tomb that Joseph had purchased for his own burial. Notice verse 59. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean shroud, and laid it in his, that is Joseph's, own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Thus the prophecy was fulfilled. He was placed in a rich man's tomb. He was placed in Joseph's tomb. It was not a communal grave. It wasn't even a common cave. Many times they would bury people in caves, but this was a tomb that was hewn out of rock. Okay? It was a very special tomb. It would be like a casket that's made out of oak uh, instead of, uh, or walnut instead of just metal. Uh, this was a super-duper tomb if you will, a rich man's tomb. This prophecy is significant because of the turn of events that were required for its fulfillment. Okay, so it's remarkable that he's assigned a place with the wicked. He should have been buried in disgrace by both Roman law and Jewish law, but instead he's buried in this tomb for the wealthy. But what is significant is what had to take place for this to happen. First, there had to be a tremendous change in the life of Joseph for Joseph to have requested the body of Jesus. Prior to the crucifixion, Joseph had been a secret disciple of Jesus. In John chapter 19, 38, it says this parallel passage. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, secretly, he was a follower of Jesus, but he didn't let anyone know that he was a follower of Jesus. Why? The reason that Joseph had been a secret disciple was because he was afraid of the Jewish leaders. John 19, 38. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, for Fear of the Jews. Here's the turn of events. Ask Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. In Mark, it emphasizes the drastic change. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the king of God, took courage... And went to Pilate. NIV says, gathered up courage and went in before Pilate. Prior to the crucifixion, Joseph is afraid to identify with Jesus. While Jesus is still alive, Joseph is a believer, he is a disciple. He is a follower of Jesus, but he's afraid to let anybody know that he is a follower of Jesus, even though he's a member of the Sanhedrin, because he's afraid of the Jews. He's afraid of the reaction. He's afraid of what is going to happen to him if he identifies with Jesus. Now, the peculiarity is that before the crucifixion, the disciples gladly own who Jesus is. They're not ashamed of Jesus at all. He is performing miracles. He is teaching the word of God. People are flocking to him, and the disciples are bold in their witness. However, when it becomes time for Jesus to be arrested, and it becomes clear that he is being taken into custody all of the disciples flee. And you know the story. I spoke on it for Monday, Thursday. Peter follows at a distance. And three times, seeing that Jesus is going to be condemned, when asked if he's a follower of Jesus, denies even knowing Jesus, and gets to the place where he curses Jesus and says, I don't know him at all, because now he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus because he's going to the cross. Prior to the crucifixion, the disciples are bold. When they see the crucifixion coming, they become afraid. The irony of this is that Joseph, before the crucifixion, is afraid to identify with Jesus, and after the crucifixion, immediately after the crucifixion, while the body is still on the cross, now musters up courage and goes to Pilate and say, I want that body. I want to honor that body. What a change of events. What a change of circumstances. There also had to be a tremendous turn of events in the life of Pilate for the body of Jesus to be buried With the rich. Remember, Pilate condemned Jesus to death. In John chapter 19, starting with verse 12, I won't read it all, but uh, yes, I will. It says this From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Pilate wanted to release Jesus. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent of the charges that they brought against him. So he wanted to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus. He knew that Jesus was innocent, but he didn't want to go against the Jewish leaders, and so he condemned a man that he knew to be innocent to death. He was afraid. Now, there had to be a real change in the life of Pilate to violate the law of the Jewish leaders and the Roman law to grant this body to Joseph. What Pilate is unwilling to do while Jesus is alive, Pilate is now willing to do upon the crucifixion. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body. Why did he go to Pilate? Pilate's not even on the scene. Pilate is far away. In fact, it tells us this. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Pilate is back in his palace. Pilate is not on the scene. Joseph goes to Pilate and says, I want that body of Jesus. Pilate says, you mean he's dead already? And he checks with the centurion to make sure that's true. Yes, he's dead. He goes to Pilate because he's Body is assigned to be with the wicked. He goes to Pilate because Pilate had not only condemned Jesus, but he said what was to be done with his body. So he goes to Pilate and says, "Pilate, may I have Jesus' body?" Pilate knows that's going to accept the Jew, uh, that's going to infuriate the Jews because they want his body. To be disgraced. He knows it goes against Roman's law because a part of the condemnation of the crucifixion is that his body would be disgraced. And he decides to violate both Jewish law and Roman law to give this body to Joseph. That's rather striking, that's rather amazing. I believe that that demonstrates an intervention in a sovereign God who wants to see this body placed in a tomb of honor. Both of these leaders who were involved in assigning Jesus a place with the wicked had to have a heart change to be buried with the rich. But most important is the significant meaning of what took place. Jesus was allowed to be buried with the rich because he was an innocent man. Isaiah 53 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And N.A.S.B., because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Jesus was innocent. Jesus did not deserve death by Jewish law And Jesus did not deserve death by Roman law. He should not have died. He should not have been assigned a place with the wicked. Jesus was innocent in the eyes of Joseph. And Joseph is trying to make amends. According to Luke chapter 23, verse 50 and following, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, meaning the Sanhedrin. A good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. He was looking for the kingdom. When votes were taken as to what should happen with Jesus, Joseph voted against putting Jesus to death. Why? Because he was a follower of Jesus. Because he was looking forward to the kingdom. Because he was a believer. He voted against putting Jesus to death. But he was still a secret disciple. He did not argue for his deliverance. He did not stand up and defend Jesus. He wouldn't go along with it, but at the same time, he wasn't willing to put his neck on the line in order to save Jesus. Joseph wanted to make amends. He knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew that this death was tragic in that sense. And now he wanted to do something to honor the body of Jesus. Jesus was innocent in the eyes of Pilate. Pilate repeatedly referred to the innocence of Jesus. Repeatedly. I believe four times he said, I find no fault in him. 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 And yet, in order to please the Jewish people, he puts to death an innocent man. Now, Jesus is dead. And and Joseph comes to Pilate and says, May I have his body. And Pilate, knowing that Jesus was innocent, decides to give the body over to Joseph. Even though he knows it's going to infuriate the Jews, and even though he knows he's going to violate Roman law, he decides to honor the request of Joseph. A man who just hours earlier was afraid of the Jews, and hide behind Roman law, is now going to go against the Jews and actually violate Roman law. In order for this to happen, there had to be an incredible change of heart and mind. Again, a demonstration of a sovereign God who brings to pass a portion of scripture that's truly amazing, truly outstanding. Herod. Uh, this is Pilate's word. Uh, well, no, no, I'll go on from there. But most importantly, Jesus was innocent in the eyes of God the Father. Isaiah 53, 10, 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. He will, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Isaiah 53, 10. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. God's wrath is satisfied. God's justice is satisfied. All of our sins are laid on Jesus. He bore the wrath of God on the cross, satisfying God's justice. God's justice. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 to 25. You don't need to turn there. There are numerous references in that particular portion of Scripture to Isaiah chapter 53. Numerous references. And saying that we should be, like Jesus, willing to suffer innocently. Quietly. Submissively. The placing of Jesus in the rich man's tomb, is the very beginning of his exoneration. His exoneration. This is the very beginning of the universal recognition that Jesus was not guilty. This was Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, saying, Jesus was not guilty. This is Pilate, the representative of the Roman government, saying Jesus was not guilty. This is God the Father saying that Jesus was not guilty. He was not dying for his sins. He was dying for our sins. The time of the cross was the time to bear sin. Once that sin was born, once Jesus died, now comes the transformation. Now comes a new era. First, exoneration. The second is exaltation. He died the disgraceful death. Let this mind be also... In you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of man. And being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Cursed is every one who hangs upon a tree. Jesus bore our sins, despising the shame. He bore the shame of the cross. He was nailed to that cross in nakedness. It was all intended to bring shame to Jesus. But now the time for shame was over. And now was the time for exaltation. That the, the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, and things in heaven and things under the earth, and everyone would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now is the time for change. This would be the time of exaltation. Both Pilate and Jesus, and ultimately God the Father, wanted to see the body of Jesus honored. Honored. Placed in a tomb with dignity. to have a proper, honorable burial. Violating Jewish and Roman law, but in keeping with Isaiah 53, verse 9. This is a remarkable fulfillment of prophecy that also has some very practical ramifications. For this prophecy substantiates the resurrection in a very demonstrable way. First, the nature of the prophecy being so unusual demonstrates the accuracy of the scripture. Who would have ever thought this went up? Hundreds of years before the crucifixion. But to have this kind of detail as to what's going to be, take, take place with a body that's condemned. But secondly, there was very practical importance to Jesus being placed in this tomb it would have been virtually impossible to substantiate the resurrection of Jesus if he had been buried in a communal grave the women saw the exact place where Jesus was placed luke 23:53 then he took it down this is joseph wrapped it in a linen referring to the body of jesus wrapped in linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one ever had yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. So the women followed Joseph to the tomb where Jesus was placed, A stone was placed over the front of it. It was sealed. And they went home to celebrate the Sabbath. They come back the next day in order to uh, put spices on the body. Luke 24, 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, They, that is these very same women, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you he was still in Galilee? They were able to go to the exact tomb and see that that tomb was empty. If Jesus would have been placed in a communal grave, if Jesus' body would have been thrown on a heap, if Jesus would have been buried buried with 200 people, how would they know that they were the exact spot where Jesus' body was? How would they be able to see that that body was no longer there? How would there be any proof? How would there be any demonstration Of the reality of this great event, if it were in a communal grave. It wasn't even placed in a tomb where other people were placed, it was in a tomb where no one ever was laid. It was absolutely obvious. Jesus wasn't one among six bodies. And they could argue about which body was no longer there. Jesus was one of one. In a tomb. In a very distinctive tomb. A tomb that was hewn out of the rock. There was no mistaking which tomb it was. The body was not there. Luke twenty-three fifty-three. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen shroud, and laid it in a tomb, cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It's a remarkable portion of Scripture. So in conclusion, let me just say to you, first of all, the Word of God is amazing. The Word of God is amazing. The prophecies of Scripture are not like the prophecies of horoscopes. These are not just generalities that you can read and they can be fulfilled in many different ways. No, there are a lot of very specific prophecies just like this. I could go through and just talk about very unique and specific prophecies that are just outstanding. But this one, Concerning a simple simple matter. That because he's going to die as a criminal, his body is going to be assigned a place with the wicked. But he's going to end up in a rich man's tomb. Exactly what happens. And let us never forget the importance of the resurrection. That is our... cornerstone. It is the absolute basis for our faith. If Jesus did not rise, we are yet in our sins. We are of all men most miserable, but Jesus has risen from the dead, and our faith is well placed. Just marvel at the glorious truth that Jesus has risen from the dead. And we have an empty tomb, a rich man's empty tomb, to demonstrate the reality of that truth and to authenticate, authenticate the fact that Jesus was indeed innocent and that God the Father, Joseph, and Pilate all wanted to exalt the Lord Jesus. May we exalt him when and before the time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its uh, accuracy. Lord, we we, we thank you for its clarity. Uh, Lord, uh, give us faith and confidence in our Lord Jesus and help us to marvel uh, at uh, your will your sovereign control over the events of this world. Uh, Lord, just cause us to be amazed once again at how you are going to fulfill all that your word teaches. And may it help us to understand that even as Christ ascended into heaven, he is coming back one day. And all that you have said concerning his return will be 100% fulfilled